The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 11. For to no one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who portions to each one individually as he wills. This is God's word to us. Hey, good morning, guys. It's good to see you guys. That's a rowdy 11 o'clock welcome. I love that. I'm here for it. Um, hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Chad Kinster. I serve as one of our pastors. And uh, it's, it's, um, it's really good to see you today. It's good to worship with you. This is exactly where I feel like I need to be today um, with my faith being edified. And so I hope you feel that way too. If you're a guest with us, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to spend a morning with you. Thank you that you would allow us to get to do that um, and to worship with you today. Um, if you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to be. We've been working through, if you're jumping in with us, we've been working through this book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. And we've been doing that for some time. We'll, we'll actually finish this journey up toward the end of the summer. Um, but we're sitting here in chapter 12. Uh, and chapters 12 to 14 is, is some significant comprehensive work, the most comprehensive we have in Scripture. And I'll mention that again today in our sermon on gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to spend the better part of nine weeks in this section of Scripture. So if you weren't here last week, um, totally fine. We don't take attendance or roll or give pink slips, right? But if you weren't here last week, um, I'd encourage you to jump on our podcast or jump on our website and catch that sermon just to sort of get the introduction and then to jump headlong in with us. We'd love to do that with you. So if you would please pray for me, uh, and I'll pray for you. We've got work to do today, and we'll see how God would shape us. Our Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. God, even as I say that today, I thank you for the ministry that even just that confession does to my heart, our hearts. We come to you in Jesus' name. Jesus, thank you that your name purchased for us the ability, as Scripture tells us, to come boldly, to come confident and to come expectant before the throne of God. That we don't have to wave our hands for you to get you to notice us. I don't have to pray with a certain tone of voice or cadence in order for you to pay attention. Jesus, you have purchased the attention of the Father over us, and we come in behind you, and it's in your name that we pray. And I'm asking Jesus, as you have poured out the Spirit on the church, as we'll look at today, would you even now Give us a fresh filling, a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I'm asking in this, in this hour that you would do what Jesus said you would do, and that's to guide us into all that's true. And that you would bear witness of Jesus. You would lift us and point us and testify to the power of the kingdom of God come in Jesus. And that for whatever we're bringing in the room today, that you would, know, that you would help us know that you take notice of us, that you will minister to us even beyond what this sermon can hold. And so even if I don't address in this sermon what is necessary for the building up of a person's faith, you can handle that. And so I'm asking that this moment with open Bible would be a moment you would speak to us. And I'm asking that in Jesus' strong name and all together we agreed and said, amen, amen. 
Well, I want to ask a question to, to jump our time in today. And that question is, what comes to mind for you? What comes to mind when you hear the word spirit-filled or charismatic? And what comes to your mind? I know for me growing up, I would have images of Benny Hinn sort of slaying people with his jacket in a healing crusade, right? It was like, am I watching the WWF or am I watching something of church? Maybe something of TBN back in the day, some uh, pictures of, of, of the stuff that would happen in televangelists comes to mind. Well, depending on the background you come from, I, I bring that up today, because depending on the background you come from, the words spirit-filled or charismatic could bring to mind something a bit hokey and shallow, depending on the background you come from. It would be something of show, like a religious show, but something that lacks substance. And, and if that's the case for you, you've probably rejected that expression of faith or whatever comes behind that that they would call of Christianity. You've rejected that, and you've instead decided to plant yourself into something more intellectually driven, more buttoned up. For others of you, though, you actually came to faith in a charismatic church. You came to faith maybe in the Assemblies of God church, a charismatic background, and it's been nothing but meaningful to you. So where some have rejected that, there are others of you who would say, hey, that's actually my heritage. That's, that's, where I came. that's where I first encountered the gospel of Jesus and became a Christian. And that's taught you about the power of God, the presence of God, and it's formed you where you are today. Others of you would say, yeah, I actually come from that background, and it's that background that hurt me around misuse or manipulation around things of the Spirit. Maybe there's a fourth category, and you'd say, hey, when you're talking about Spirit-filled and charismatic, I'm really open to that. Like, I'm eager for that. I just have no idea what we're talking about. I'm open to an encounter with God the Holy Spirit. In fact, I've read the book of Acts. I've read the New Testament. And maybe you're a person who would say, I'm actually disappointed in my current experience of church because I'm wondering, where is the book of Acts in the church? We come from a variety of places when I mention these terms, spirit-filled or charismatic. One of the things I actually love about our church, um, we're sort of a denominational mutt, if I can say it that way. Um, The variety of denominational backgrounds, religious backgrounds, non-religious backgrounds that are represented, I, I love that about us. We've got everything from people who are Church of Christ and didn't even have music in their services to those who are former Catholics those who are formerly Episcopalian and Pentecostal, we've got those who didn't have any background in church and those who were essentially born in a pew of a church, all in this room today. I sort of think about our church like a, like a soda fountain suicide, if you remember that, right? Where you just walk up and you just say, I want every flavor, all in one cup, right? I, th- I think that about our church and I love that about us. It makes us better. But our very backgrounds also mean that we've heard a variety of teaching around the Holy Spirit. We've heard different things. There's some of you who are skeptical, some of you who are really comfortable with the Holy Spirit and with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, some of you who are not so comfortable, particularly with the gifts. And I just want to say, as a church, we believe, we affirm that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, not three gods, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit is active today. God, the Holy Spirit, fills all Christians and the church, and that spiritual gifts, all the gifts mentioned in Scripture, are still operative and active today. And so where we land in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, over the course of this chapter, 12, 13, and 14, 
As I mentioned earlier, Paul gives the most comprehensive teaching we have in Scripture on spiritual gifts. And this whole section actually is framed as a corrective to the church at Corinth. So as much as he's teaching us into spiritual gifts, he's correcting the church at Corinth because they had gone crazy with the gifts, disorderly, even to the point of being judgmental, one Christian to another as though one was more spiritual and one lacked substance. But Paul's correction to the church, as crazy as they had gotten, isn't to say, you guys can't handle this. We've actually got to shut this whole gifts thing down. You might expect him to say that as you would a parent to a child who doesn't seem to be able to handle something. But his conclusion on the matter isn't so much, let's shut it down. Instead, in chapter 14, verse 1, he's going to tell us, I actually want you guys to desire the gifts all the more earnestly. (laughs) It's not to shut it down. Let's actually just correct this. I want you to desire them more earnestly, chapter 14. But I want you to do that anchored in a love for one another, chapter 13. And I want you to do that knowing that the primary purpose of the gifts is for building one another up and the common good of the church. That's chapter 12. And so if you're skeptical of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, Paul would have this to say to you from these chapters. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Throw the bathwater out. But, but not the baby. The baby's too precious. Let's not do that to the, to the baby. Our kids' ministry keeps that in check. But the problem certainly isn't with God the Holy Spirit, nor the way that he works in the church. The problem isn't with God, if I can say it that way. The problem's never with him. When things get weird, when things get weird, the problem isn't so much with God. This, the problem is the same today as it was then. It's a user error, to use technological terms. It's a misunderstood or malformed church, and that's the burden of Paul in these chapters, to have an understood and informed, a well-formed church. And so today, we're going to look at verses 8 to 11, and Paul's going to give us a list of the ways the Holy Spirit works in and gifts the church. And we'll cover actually in two weeks, part of it today, and then part of it uh, Pastor Kevin will handle next week. And so if you've got your Bible open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want you to actually put a finger there before we jump into those verses, and I want you to turn back to three other places with me. I want to start today with a framework of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So turn back to John 14, John 16, and Acts chapter 1. We'll look at these quickly. Because unless you have a background in these things, unless you have a good theological foundation in these things, you might be asking some questions. You're talking about the Holy Spirit or spiritual gifts like you assume I know what you're talking about. And so your questions might be, who or what is this Holy Spirit? And why does he matter? And and what are these gifts you talk about of spirituality, spiritual gifts? What's captured for us in John 14 and John 16 is a part of a larger conversation that goes from chapter 13 to 17, the final conversation Jesus is having with his disciples in his earthly ministry before he goes to his suffering. He's been telling them that he's about to die. They keep saying that's not really going to happen. And then now Jesus is like, hey, it's actually hours from now that this thing is going to take place. And so they're leaning in going, we've given up everything to follow you. We don't know what to do if you're not here. And so Jesus in this conversation in John 14 is actually going to say, I am about to die. That much is true. But it's not going to end there. He's going to say actually in in, in verse 18, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. 
You've left everything to follow me, but I'm not going to leave you holding the bag. I'm not going to leave you alone. And in this chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, is the first place where he gives us teaching about who and what the Holy Spirit is. Look in verse 16. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. The word another there is another of the same kind, not something additional or something else but different than me. He says, of the same kind, and it's not something, I'm giving you someone. He gives the proper noun, capital H, helper. Proper noun, helper. Of the same kind, he mentions him personally there. So the Holy Spirit is not an it or a force, but it's a who, it's a someone, God. God the Holy Spirit. In every way that God the Father is God, in every way that Jesus is God as God the Son, so also is the Holy Spirit God in the same way. Very God of very God. He goes on to say in this verse, I'm going to give you another, the helper, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. He says the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he'll dwell with you, this is massive, and he'll dwell in you. So this is Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, telling us that when he dies, he will send another like him, very God of very God, who won't just be God with us like he is, but God in us. It's a big deal. So you skip from there to John 16. He continues the conversation. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's actually to your advantage that I go away. They're probably thinking, what could possibly be better than having you here with us? It's actually to your advantage. It's better for you if I go away, because if I don't, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So in this final conversation, right at the moment that they're absolutely freaked out about the thought of Jesus not being with them any longer, Jesus says, the presence that you've been accustomed to for these three years the very presence of the living God as I've been with you, like I was in the boat when I was taking a nap and you were freaked out by the waves and then you were like, hey, are you gonna save us? And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. And the wind and the waves obeyed him because the very presence of God was with them. That very presence of God you've been accustomed to is actually not gonna go away. It's going to continue, but it will be in you. If anything, your experience of the presence of the living God will only intensify. Not with, but in. Intensify. And his ministry among the disciples and in the world wasn't going to end, but it was going to continue through the giving, through the sending, and through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on his disciples after the resurrection. John 14, John 16, look at Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts is written by Luke. You might recognize that name because he's also the same author as the Gospel of Luke. Think of the book of Acts as his sequel. The testimony, the life and ministry of Jesus. Now what happened after his resurrection? He begins his book like this. In the first book, O Theophilus, the friend he was writing to. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus, what? Began began to do and to teach. If you, if you mark in your Bible, mark that word began. That's a massive word. It's loaded with significance and hope and confidence for us. It's a word that you're like, why would I underline that? That seems like an insignificant word. It is a word that you'd otherwise think of as insignificant. I'm telling you, it's massive for us. Luke is telling us in this one word 
that Jesus really meant all that he said. Everything he said, he really meant it. His work isn't finished with his death and his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. It's not finished there. Those were critical, climactic, and even redemptive aspects in order for his work to continue, but he's not done. Luke is telling us what this word began. Jesus has just gotten started. I wrote to you all that he began to do and to teach. And so Acts chapter 2 then, if we were to keep reading, shows us the giving of the Holy Spirit. And the rest of the book is about the ministry of God the Holy Spirit to empower every believer in the church to continue the work of ministry that Jesus started in the world. So track with this. Hold, just hold this. Jesus lived a powerful life. We all would agree that. He was filled and empowered by God the Holy Spirit. It happened with the dove descending on him at baptism. The very same spirit that filled and empowered Jesus even rose him from the dead. He now says, I'm pouring out on you to fill you to continue my ministry in the world. The very same spirit, not like a different one or a lesser kind, the same. John, the gospel writer, in John 3 says that Jesus comes to give us the Holy Spirit in full measure. Fascinating stuff. And now this is what Paul picks up on 1 Corinthians 12 to narrow in on our text today. He's driving this whole conversation on what are the gifts and why they have been given in this direction. And he's going to say in verse 27, if we skip just a few verses beyond where we are today, Notice what he says there in 1227. So now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. If you want to know how does the ministry of Jesus continue in the world today, how does that happen? Through you, Christian. Through me. Through us and every person who names the name of Jesus through the church, we are the body of Christ, meaning we are the representation and the presence of Jesus in the world filled by the very same spirit that filled him to continue his ministry just like him as his disciples. That's mind-blowing. You're thinking, that sounds like a really bad plan. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church. And so for us to really do that, though, like, for us to really carry out the same ministry that Jesus did, we're going to need some help. We're going to need some help. That much is clear. We're going to need God not just to outsource himself to us. We're going to need God himself. That's the Holy Spirit. And, and the help that we need comes through spiritual gifts. God gives us himself, and then he gifts us with all that is pregnant in him to carry out his ministry in the world. Pastor and scholar A.W. Tozer frames up the urgency around the ministry of the Spirit this way. Guys, this quote has haunted me every time I've come around it. He says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. Let that arrest you for a second. People wonder, where is God? And often they look at a church that's hardly filled with him. He says, if, 
if the Holy Spirit were removed from the church today, he, he suggests, and I don't think he's entirely wrong, 95% of what we do would go away and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. God, the Holy Spirit, would you fill us even now? Please let that not be true of us. And so I want you to look back at verses 8 to 10, and Paul's going to give us a list of gifts. How does he do this? Pick up with me in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. And this is according to the same Spirit. Verse 9. To another the gift of faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one Spirit. You see he's making a point here. Verse 10, and to another working of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of those tongues. So in this section, Paul gives nine gifts. He lists out nine gifts for us. And the idea is that this list isn't exhaustive. This is just an indication of some of the stuff that the Holy Spirit tends to do. There are other lists in the New Testament. Romans 12, if you care to study. Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. At the end of 1 Corinthians 12, we get another list of gifts. And even if we were to put all these lists together, like if we were to sort of add up all the lists, even the lists together aren't meant to be exhaustive. But they're given to us in order that we might have a glimpse, hold this, that God will stop at nothing to equip the church with whatever she needs to continue the ministry of Jesus in the world. That's why we get the lists. Not exhaustive, but I just want you to know, I'll stop at nothing. The gates of hell really won't. A progressive moment can't shut down the church. His tomb is empty. The Spirit's been given and I'll gift you however you need to carry out the ministry of my beloved son in the world as his blood-bought people. So what I'm going to do today is narrow in on the first three gifts, wisdom, knowledge, and faith. And then next week, we'll pick up healing, miracles, and distinguishing between spirits. And then we're going to save prophecy and tongues and the interpretation of tongues for the broader teaching of those back up in chapter 14. So we'll save that. And I can feel the suspense in the room. That's the order we're going to do this in. So let's pick up with wisdom, knowledge, and faith today. We'll start with wisdom and knowledge. We'll handle these actually together. They tend to work together, actually, in the way that we see them in Scripture. So if you've been tracking through 1 Corinthians, wisdom and knowledge is a really massive theme. They saw themselves as wise and knowledgeable people. They loved Greek philosophy. They loved the wisdom of the world. And so when Paul mentions them here as spiritual gifts, it's a bit of a corrective to say, you think yourself wise and knowledgeable, but I'm going to tell you that true wisdom and true knowledge can only come by the Spirit of God. Knowledge and wisdom that lasts. Those aren't worldly mantras. Those are spiritual gifts. And there's actually, not surprising, some varying opinions on what these gifts are and how they show up. Some would define wisdom and knowledge primarily as a spirit-given capacity to have insight and understanding into God's word and to apply it. Some would define it that way. So this view would see these gifts that they tend to show up, they tend to work together, maybe in someone who carries the gift of teaching that they just are wise and knowledgeable into the scriptures and the application of the scriptures. And I 
Maybe, maybe you've met a person where you would just go, hey, every time I'm around that person, they just, they tend to have a timely scripture to offer. Or if I have a question, they just seem to have a really sensible, easy, proficient explanation of that. And so when you have this definition of these two gifts, I actually think that that's true. These gifts aren't less than insight and understanding into God's word, but I also think there's something more to these gifts suggested in scripture that's by way of revelation. That they're more revelatory in nature. Here's what I mean by that. Another group would say, and I tend to agree with this, that wisdom and knowledge, these gifts mentioned, are a spirit-given sense into something specific about a person or a situation with knowledge that they wouldn't have otherwise had in any way to then offer the word of God in the application of that word. Right? Let me give you some examples from scriptures to what I mean here. Think about the ministry of Jesus, the several places that are mentioned where <laughs> it says, um, the gospel writers will say, he knew their thoughts, the people he was talking to. He knew the thoughts and intentions of the people around them, around him, and he was putting his finger on that all the time. And you'd say, well, of course he knew their thoughts. He was God. But he didn't know their thoughts simply because he was God. Throughout the uh, gospel of Luke, the writer reminds us that Jesus knew this because he was filled by the Spirit. This very same Spirit that filled Jesus now fills us. And so there's something there of wisdom and knowledge that Jesus had empowered by the Spirit. There's also the well-known account in uh, John chapter 4, the woman at the well, where Jesus and this woman interact at the well, a woman that um, was a Samaritan woman. It wasn't a good look for a Jewish man and a Samaritan to even be together, much less a man and a woman. And so they're having a conversation they had never met. That's the whole point of even mentioning some of those dynamics that they had never met. He didn't know the details of her life because of conversation. And somehow through them drawing a cup of water together, Jesus puts his finger on her sexual promiscuity and her multiple marriages. And she says to him, surely you're a prophet. Like she even goes back to her hometown and says, I just met a man who told me all that I've ever done. And it wasn't creepy to her. The idea wasn't this was like, I have stalker knowledge on you. He used his knowledge and his wisdom to apply redemption, healing, and salvation to her. That's the idea. I could go on with multiple other uh, examples from Scripture. Um, Sam Storm's book, Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Beliefs, is really helpful on this, or spiritual gifts. Let me give you a couple examples from my own, from my own life. Uh, when I was in seminary, I had the, the privilege for a year at the end of my seminary to work with, um, on staff with a, a, a ministry hero of mine, a guy that's probably shaped me more than, than anybody. And so at the end of that year, we're having a conversation about what was next, and I, I said, I want to be a pastor, I thought this would be an amazing thing to say to someone who's like my hero in the face. Like, I want to be like you, you know? Like, he's going to say, yeah, do that. That actually turned into a, a pretty massive rebuke against me. He's like, well, that's actually why I wanted to have this conversation. <laughs> he says, you have no business being a pastor to me. You have no business being a pastor. You walk with a spirit of pride and entitlement you have this presumptive spirit about you that you are owed platform and ministry opportunities, and that is toxic to the office of pastor, and you have no business being a pastor. So I responded with, thank you, sir, may I have another, right? Pretty massive rebuke. Like, that's how my day ended. There's not a soft way to, like, cuddle that conversation, right? I go home and tell my wife about it, and she's like, what does he know, you know? And I'm like, yeah, knowing that it's, like, true, 
I go to community group that night, a church that we were part of at the time in Louisville, Kentucky. I go to community group that night. A guy had visited our community group for the first time. We did a guys and gals night separate. We're discussing uh, the Sunday sermon together, kind of like we do in our community groups. He had just come to our church for the first time the previous Sunday at our group for the first time. He was a salesman in the city of Louisville, Kentucky, not connected to the seminary, not connected to me. We learned each other's name for the first time that night. After the gathering is over, everyone's sort of picking up their Bibles and leaving. He walks over to me. He says, hey, just to remind you, my name is filled in the blank. And he says, hey, this is no way to make friends. But all night, I've had this like deep sense that I've got to tell you. I believe from the Holy Spirit. We're at a Baptist church, mind you. Like, where you like, don't talk about the Holy Spirit. I have this deep sense, I think from the Holy Spirit, that you walk in a spirit of pride and entitlement and you must repent. I immediately started looking around for cameras. Like, how did you, I, I actually, how did you know that? And he goes, the Holy Spirit? I get in the car, I tell my wife exactly what happened. And I go home, and like the best thing I need to do is just get on my knees and say, God, would you break me? Like God uses these, like that is the ministry of Jesus, isn't it? Like to form his church, to form his people, to shape us as disciples, to put his finger when necessary in our chest to say, you are mine and I will form you as my follower in the world. It's continued ministry of Jesus. Another example of this, was, um, not long ago I had a couple in my office I was marrying the couple, and so we're going through the wedding ceremony, what it was going to look like. One of the things I do is I show, hey, here's the vows you're going to say to one another just so you kind of know on the day what you're going to say. I'll give you the bite-sized phrases, and we'll walk through it. And I was walking this couple through the vows, and I noticed the bride-to-be getting pretty restless. And in that moment of walking through the vows, like I had like just like a shot into my chest, what I believed to be the Holy Spirit saying, you need to mention to her a background of divorce. I didn't know I knew some of their story, but I didn't know anything about that. And so I just said, hey, do you, have, do you have a background in divorce that's deeply painful and dark? And she goes, longer than this conversation could hold. And I said, hey, I believe I'm supposed to tell you, maybe this hits, that what you're stepping into with marriage is not about you redeeming what was lost on you or broken on you. It's not about you undoing what was broken on you, but it's through marriage that God will continue to redeem you. And she breaks. And she goes, how did you know to say that? I just said, she's like, the thing I've been fearing is that I can't do this. That I can't actually make good on what was lost on me. How did you know to say that? I said, that, that's Jesus stuff. That, that's, that's Jesus stuff in the world forming his people. See, these are just a couple of examples. I could continue to run down many more. Several in our church could tell you more powerful stories of the Holy Spirit in moments like this, giving a burden, leading someone into another person that they've never met or don't have details that they could possibly know. And it turned into a moment of God offering that person truth applying it to their life and drawing them forward in greater obedience to Jesus. And the idea with this wisdom and knowledge gifts isn't that like we're walking around trying to have like creepy knowledge on people. That's not what we're, what we're talking about. But that, that's, that's actually creepy. What we're talking about here though is that we're, 
as disciples, learning to walk like Jesus, learning to walk with Jesus, learning to be attuned to God, at the same time attuned to the people that he's put around us, in the case that in any moment he would break through for a moment of kingdom ministry to apply truth to a person that that's only from God and lead them into obedience to Jesus. The, the next gift in line here is the gift of faith, wisdom, knowledge, and faith. He says in verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. We'll, we'll touch this quickly here. This is not talking about faith in the broad or general sense that is common to all Christians, like saving faith or the, the faith that keeps you trusting in Jesus. Instead, he's talking about faith in a more supernatural kind of way that's given on occasion to believe God to move or to work in a situation that would otherwise feel impossible. So this is not name it and claim it. That's not the gift of faith. This is not just spiritual power of positive thinking, spiritual op. That's not what this is. This is also not demanding something from God. Like I'm going to muster myself up and demand God to move as though we could possibly do that anyway. D.A. Carson, scholar who's got this book called Showing the Spirit, super helpful if you want a technical download of all this. He's going to define this gift this way. It's a God-given ability without fakery, or here's a good vocab word for your week this week, without fakery or platitudinous exhortations, this ability to believe God to do what you don't really believe, or as if to say, I wouldn't otherwise believe God for this, but somehow I believe God for this, to trust God for a certain blessing not promised in Scripture. So come some examples of this. You often see this showing up in church planters or missionaries. Oftentimes we had Sujith Jacob, the brother we planted in Mumbai, India, just a couple of years ago, deep, deep friend of ours. Some families here um, that lived in Mustang and Yukon went with him to Mumbai. Hey, what confidence do we have to take people transplanted from Yukon to Mumbai? A city of 24 million people with hardly a Christian witness, except for the fact that we believe God's heart for the nations in Scripture, We believe the church will prevail from Scripture, but we don't have confidence from Scripture that, like, Cornerstone Mumbai is going to be a successful effort. We don't have confidence for that. Except for this gift of faith that I think God wants to move in Mumbai in this apartment complex, and he wants me to do it, and that sounds crazy, but I believe it. And I could show you pictures from this last Easter of a room filled with people seeking Jesus, new converts to Jesus, and the evidence of his grace going forward. That's the gift of faith. We see this in prayers for healing oftentimes. Here's a moment that's maybe a bit more common to to most of us. You see this in a moment of ministry oftentimes. This isn't, I'm just giving some examples. It's not exclusive to this. But to someone in a dark place or in a place of doubt, depression, despair, a place where someone can't see for themselves is what I'm describing. But in the course of maybe ministering to them, you're able to see, you are able to see what God is doing that they can't see, and it's almost like you have belief on their behalf. I know you can't see right now. Like, I know that you think this is, like, impossible, but I believe breakthrough for you from God, and I'm just going to need you to draft on my faith right now. Like, gift of faith. 
And so what I want you to see from this is that these are windows of opportunity, ways that God the Holy Spirit will work in us, not just, the idea isn't that this is just about some emotionalism that the church wants to go, oh, I had an encounter that was intense or an experience with God, but it's just isolated to me. No. That God works in us to the end that we might build one another up and continue the ministry of Jesus in the world that he began. So let's get to, let's turn the corner, wrap this up with some application. One of the questions that comes up oftentimes around talk of the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Spirit is, well, okay, well, great, that's awesome. What are my gifts? <laughs> like, how can I find out what I got? Like, how can I find out my gifts? Look at, look at verse 11, chapter 12, verse 11. It says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the gifts are given per the prerogative of God the Holy Spirit. We don't demand from him. We can request and ask, but we submit to him. He apportions, he appoints as he wills for the continuing ministry of Jesus in the world. Some of you have been around long enough to remember a time when it was really popular to take spiritual gift assessments. Like a part of a Sunday school class where you're like, we're going to take a spiritual gift test. What this is, is 100 questions, yes or no, true or false, and at the end of this, out comes your spiritual gifts. Cha-ching, right? And it's really, it turned into, it's just a lame Christian personality test where you'd sort of, you could break the test. I want to be this. Oh, I get this now, right? Here's what I want you to hear about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts aren't so much spiritual abilities that you get to leverage. They're not spiritual abilities you get to leverage. They are invitations to and opportunities for ministry. As I said earlier, spiritual gifts are evidences that God will stop at nothing. He will withhold nothing from you or I as his church to continue the ministry of Jesus in the world. He'll stop at nothing. And so when you start to see gifts in terms of which gifts do I have or which gifts don't I have, then you can also start to define yourselves by your gifts, demand things because of your gifts, or limit or excuse yourself from real ministry because you don't have certain gifts. So you hear people say like, well, I have the gift of teaching, so where can I teach in the church? Move aside, I've got the gift of teaching. Someone just give me a platform. Or you'll hear someone say, I, I actually can't serve on the greeting team, even though you need greeters. Or I can't serve in kids ministry because that's not my gift. I'm not worried right now about what your gifts are. We have needs. We, we have needs. And so the point isn't so much what are your gifts, but the point becomes, Holy Spirit, where would you use me? How would you use me? You can ask anything of me. And I trust that even if it's not my gift, you will gift me for the task. There are so many times when what comes to me as ministry is not what I see as in my main gift set. But that doesn't mean I get to pass. Like a person comes forward to go, hey, I need, I need a prayer for healing. And I'm not like, well, that, that's just not my gift. Where's John Reiner? Uh, where's the oil? Someone else. I don't get to pass in that moment. What I get to do is say, <laughs> God, if you want to heal this person, it's not because I have magical juices. It's because I'm going to ask you, the healer. And if I don't have to wave my hands, I don't have to speak loud, I don't have to command something from you. Jesus earns all of this because of his sacrifice for us. We're coming in behind Jesus, boldly asking, would the kingdom of God happen now like it's happening in heaven? And we'll see what God does. We'll see what God does.
I don't get to opt out of ministry because of gifts. There's a quote from Sam Storms that's really helpful here about discerning your gifts. He says, so look for a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Be alert and cry out. Be alert for the cry of help and answer it. Listen for the voice of God and speak it. Identify someone's weakness and overcome it. Look for what's missing and supply it. And whenever you do, the power of God, the energizing, enabling, charismatic activity of the Holy Spirit will equip you. The likelihood greatly increases that when we will walk, that, that when we do this, we'll walk headlong into our gifting without ever even knowing what happened. And so if you're still wondering what your gifts might be, act first and ask later. Just step in. And so I would just want to say, secondly, that I want us to be a church that takes risks. Hang with me just for a second. I'm almost done. Take risks. I think one of the things that keeps us out of an experience of God working in us and offering ministry is the fear that we're going to mess it up or that we're going to fail, that we're inadequate. And we would do all those things. But I feel very confident that when I was describing a second ago the revelatory gifts of wisdom and knowledge, some of you are like, hey, I've had that before. Like, I've actually experienced that. But for whatever reason, you stifled it, you shut it down. Uh, It feels weird. Uh, That feels bizarre. Maybe that's probably just the bad burrito I had at lunch, doing things weird in my system, and that's just a stray thought. That's more from me and not from God, or you've had that debate, me or God. Listen, I'll say it this way. If you're having thoughts and burdens about or for another person related to their desire, or God's desire for them, I should say, if you're having these thoughts, or you want to offer to them a scripture that you believe is for them or a burden to pray for them, that is most likely, if not entirely, the Holy Spirit stirring you and inviting you into ministry. That's not something you're making up as though you're that godly. That's the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean every time you're going to be spot on when you do this. Like, I've whiffed so many times. Hey, I believe this is from God. They're like, that is not for me. Like, I've whiffed so many times. Whiffed so many times. But I would rather, here's what I'd rather do. I'd rather be a people, I'd rather live my life this way, that's expectant for the Spirit of God to move and to take some swings and miss, than us be a people who are just content with the status quo and never swing. You know what I mean? Like, why would I just be content to go, yeah, I guess God doesn't work anymore. I have this stuff, but it's probably more me, not God, so I just probably won't. And then we all just are bored. I'd rather swing and miss a thousand times than never swing and never hit. The Holy Spirit, I can guarantee you, the Holy Spirit is more active among us than we are participating. So here's the, here's the final today. The, the, the final. There are some of you here like, this is not the sermon I needed today. I actually need a sermon about something else. This doesn't feel acute to your needs. Maybe you don't see yourself as a committed follower of Jesus or This doesn't feel relevant to where you are in your life right now. Maybe because of your past, you feel disqualified from even being loved by God, much less gifted by God. And here's what I would want every single person in this room to hear. If you've like tuned out the whole time, jump back in with me for this minute and a half. The entirety of the Christian life is caught up. The whole thing is caught up in the grace kindness, and lavish mercy of God, the whole thing. 
The whole thing. Your sins and your past doesn't disqualify you from the grace of Jesus and the ministry of the Spirit. Your sins and your past are what qualifies you from the ministry of Jesus and the gifts of the Spirit. It's what qualifies you. You think it disqualifies you? It's for the sick that he came. It's for the sick that he came, not the people who think they're well. The good news of Jesus isn't that he just saves you from your sin and brings you back to neutral. That's where we often stop. The good news, the gospel, is that he saves you from your sin, but he also now saves you to an entire new life attached to him, hitched to him, formed by him, sent out by him into the world, filled with his spirit to continue the ministry that he began. You matter to Jesus. He spilt his blood for you, and now he's filling you with the spirit that raised him from the dead. To be a believer in Jesus is to be part of his body until he returns. Here's the final verse, Luke 11, verse 13. Hear it and I pray. If you then, who are evil, Jesus says this, if you then, who are sinful, if you in all of your sinfulness still know how to give good gifts to your kids, well then certainly how much more will the heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, exclamation point. No asterisk, no caveat, just offered. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Let's pray. Father, would you fill us with the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we don't want an experience of a limited portion of the triune God. We want to be filled with the fullness of all that God is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so Father, you know exactly where everyone in the room is today. Jesus, you know exactly the people in this room that you've brought, that you've saved, and some who are still considering what it would be to be a Christian. And I'm asking now, by the power of your spirit, would you do all the ministry you intend to do? Would you create desire in those who lack it? Would you create a a request for filling of the spirit for those who are on the edge? And would you make faith, would you create faith in those that lack it and would cross the line to say yes to Jesus? And I ask all this in the strong name of our King. Amen.